in, uh, we're in the kind of really still the beginning of a series called Bold. Would you guys say Bold. Yeah, last week we talked about the idea that many of us in life, when we think about it, we want to be bold. I know it's in there. Um, we, we want to we be bold. We, we want to be bold. We want to be bold in the way that we do the right thing at the right time. We say the right thing, even when it's difficult or awkward. We would be people who would do and say the right thing, not the easy thing, not the comfortable thing. We want to be bold, but we don't want to be dumb, right? You want to be bold and I want to be bold. None of us wants to be dumb. And so what we said is, last week is there is a way to make sure that we can be bold without being dumb. And, we, and so we don't, just be, we don't just choose boldness for the sake of being bold. And we don't just choose boldness for the sake of, of being a, a certain type of way. We want to choose boldness that actually makes a difference in the world. And so we choose boldness that's based on the right foundation. And what we said last week for, at, at the beginning of this series is that the only possible foundation, the only lasting foundation for bold living is the resurrection. That when you look at the early church, as we're going to do for this entire month, that when we look at the early church, the early church was focused on the resurrection. Everything they did, everything they spoke, the foundation from the, from the very beginning, the foundation that changed Peter, that made Peter turn, turn from a man who was scared to death, who was so scared he wouldn't admit that he was a Jesus follower to an 11-year-old girl, that that Peter saw his best friend die, and then he saw his best friend raised from the dead, and that changed Peter and what Peter changed the world. That the resurrection is the only lasting foundation for bold living. And that's where, we, that's where we started last week. That's the haymaker we threw from the very beginning. And so since, we've, since we focus on the resurrection, since the resurrection is our foundation for bold living, we don't live fearful, we live fearless. And what a time to be alive and be a, try, trying to figure out how to apply that to our lives. That we, want, we don't wanna be fearful, we wanna be fearless. That even in the face of something that should cause us to be afraid and should cause us to be aware and should cause us to, to, to pay attention, we don't live fearful, we live fearless. We live confident that God is, is amazing, that God is good. We don't live hopeful. We live confident. We don't live hoping that God will someday show his love for us by doing what we're asking him to do. We live knowing that God has already done the ultimate thing to show his love for us. When Jesus went to the cross and when Jesus from, died, rose from the dead to bring us new life, Jesus did everything that was needed for us. So we don't live hopeful, we live confident. We don't live trying to figure out how to please God and make God happy and how to figure out how to get God to do what we want him to do. We live confident that God knows our needs, sees our, sees our lives and is able to do something about it. If he's able to raise Jesus Christ from the dead, we can be confident that he can face anything in our lives. That's, that's, that's who we are and that's what we, what we live like. And so we don't live hopeful, we live confident and we don't live swayed, we live steady. So when the world shakes us and when the world moves us and when the world turns into some things that we wish the world wouldn't turn into, we don't sway with, with, with the goodness of life. We, we stay steady because of the goodness of God. And that's, and that, and that's, the, that's, that's the haymakers that we started throwing last week. And so with that, oh, oh thank you. You're taking that away from me. All right, cool. I was gonna, I was gonna look, look it up there. So yeah, so today what we're gonna do is we're gonna, we're gonna move forward in the book of Acts with the foundation that the resurrection is the only lasting foundation for bold living. We're gonna move forward in the book of Acts. So last week we talked about Acts, Acts chapter two, the, the, the day of Pentecost. What happened on the first day of the church where 3,000 people were added to 
the church. And so today we're gonna, we're gonna move forward from there. We're gonna go to Acts chapter three in just a moment. But before we go there, I wanna read to you the very end of Acts chapter two. So Cass, if you'd put that up on, up on the screen, we're just, I'm gonna read it from here for now. It says they devoted themselves. This is, this is such an, insp- like as the church, this is, this is the very first picture of the church. This is what the church is supposed to be from the very beginning. This is what it was from the very beginning. When we were starting out the church, movement church, we really looked to the early church. We looked to the book of Acts to say, what was the early church known for? What defined them? What marked them? What let people know? These are people who really love God and their lives have been changed by God. And as they come together and face the world, this is what's, what's true about these people. This is what we, this is what we you know, saw from the very beginning. And this is, I, I get so passionate. Like I just, I tear up when I read this. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. If you go on to the next screen. So they devoted themselves, everyone, would you say everyone? everyone? Not some people, not the people who sit in the front row, not the people who sit in the back row, everyone front to the back. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Let's go on to the next one. Let's go on to the next one. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Go on to the next one. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts and if we you know today and with freshly washed hands, okay? So praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people every day. Every day. Would you guys say every day? Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. That's the earliest picture of the church. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That's the earliest picture of the church. That's what the church was supposed to be from the very beginning. And when the church is done right today, and when the church gets it right today, that's the things that should be true of the church today. That's where we gained our, our where we came up with our four key moves from the very beginning. And they're not going to be on the screen or anything like that, but you can see it on the banner out there. We believe the church should be influencing outsiders. People should be coming to know Jesus because of our love for each other, because of our love for others, because of our love for the world. People should know that, hey, we're people of Jesus. They should know that there's power because of Jesus. They should know that there's resurrection life because of Jesus. Because of us, we should be influencing people at our workplaces, in our schools, wherever you go in your neighborhood. People should come to know Jesus because you're there and because you're a part of the local church. We talked about, we said that we should have influence with outsiders. We should be involved in community with other believers, that we should be growing closer together with each other in community, that we should be growing deeper in our relationships with each other. And and because of our deeper relationships with each other, we should know each other better and spur each other on towards a better relationship with Jesus Christ. That as we get closer to each other, we should be getting closer to God at the same time. And that should lead us towards an intimacy with God that most of the world doesn't know, where we don't just know more about God. We don't just read the Bible to know more about God, but we actually read the Bible to to know God more. We don't spend time in prayer so that we can check a box. We spend time in prayer with God so that we can know God more and have a deeper relationship with him. We want an intimacy that, 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 that is, that doesn't just come from knowledge transfer. We want to actually know a person more. So we want to develop intimacy with God and that should mark the church. And the final thing is we said is that we should be willing to get involved and, 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 and be in people who invest in the church, people who invest in our community and people who invest in our world, that we should be willing to give and serve and give and serve and give and serve so that people can know the love of God through the work of the people of God. That's what we think the early church was known for. It was known as they were devoted to each other. They were devoted to studying 
the word of God. They were devoted to, to loving people in the church and loving people outside the church. And because of that, every day, just imagine this, every day, every, every day, er day, every day, not Sundays, but every day, every day, people were coming to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And that's amazing. And here's what's cool. This is, this, is, this is the first little picture that we're given of what the early church was known for. And more than just like, this is not a summary statement. This is a preview statement. What happens over the next few chapters of the book of Acts is a picture is, is this being drawn out. This is a skeleton for what happens over the next few chapters of the book of Acts. And each chapter kind of flows with, here's what happened. So here's what this looked like. Here's what happened. Here's what this looked like. So here we go. Today, we're gonna go to Acts chapter three, verse one. And it says this, it says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. And it says, a man who was lame from birth, would you say from birth? A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. Now, this is interesting. So the book of Acts, anyone know who wrote the book of Acts? There's a man named Luke. Yeah, absolutely. There's a couple of you guys got that. I'm not sure if you were mooing or booing or if you were saying Luke, but I'll go with that. You were saying Luke. It was a guy, it was a guy named Luke. And what's interesting about Luke is Luke was a doctor. Luke, Luke by profession and by trade, Luke was a doctor. Luke was a man who had studied. Luke was a man who maybe his parents had been doctors. We don't know, but Luke was an intelligent man who followed Jesus. Luke was a man who came to know Jesus because when he looked at and evaluated the world, Luke went, there can only be one possible like realization to make when someone dies and raises from the dead, when someone predicts their own death and resurrection and then pulls it off. There's only one possible conclusion. He's the son of God, just like he said. Luke became a, a follower of Jesus because that's where reason led him. Luke was a man of reason. Luke was a doctor. And so Luke was a man who was very, as a doctor, when he wrote something, he was very precise. We're told at the beginning of the gospel of Luke, and at the beginning of the gospel, of, or, or at the book of Acts, that Luke was a man who didn't just write down his own opinion. Luke was a man who did many, many, many interviews with people to make sure that he was getting the story right. To go, I'm not just gonna go with what I heard one time. I wanna hear it from 20 or 30 people who were there. I wanna know what happened. So Luke talked to all of the disciples to ask what happened at the Last Supper? What happened where, 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 where Jesus multiplied this fish? Were there really 5,000 there? Were there really 4,000 that other time? Did he really walk on water? Not just one person with a, a story to tell. This is everyone who followed Jesus. Luke talked to him and said, I wanna make sure I get the story right. And so when we hear from Luke, it's precise. We can have confidence that it's accurate. Now, what we also should know, and this is kind of a joke here, is that when Luke wrote it, no one could read it because Luke was a doctor, okay? And so Luke, but now, I, yeah, right? No doctors in the room? Okay, so Luke, was, Luke as a doctor then tells us, he's, he thinks it's important to point out that this man was not a man who could walk at one point in his life and then his legs were broken or that he could walk at one point in his life and then, and then something happened to his spine or to his spinal cord. This was a man who was lame from birth. To doctors, even to this day, there's a massive difference between someone who was healthy and then something broke and someone who was never quite healthy in the first place. This, so so Luke's, Luke thinks it's important for everyone to know this is a man who was lame from birth. So Peter and John walking into this place, there's this guy who's been lame from birth. He's never been quite right. And he's being carried to, to the place where Peter and John are walking. It says this, he was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. It says this, when he saw Peter and John about to the, enter the temple, he asked for money. And then it says, Peter, 
along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. Would you guys say, look at us? Look at us. Now, this is, now this, is, this is the scenario. This is like when you go to Circle K or when you go to the Valero or wherever, wherever you get gas and you're walking in and someone's standing there and they ask you for money or they ask if you can buy them a hot dog. And, so, and, 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 and this, this, this happens to me because a lot of times I like to go to the Circle K to get out of the house. I work, I work from home. And so every once in a while, they're like, I just need a breather. I need to get out of the house. I'm gonna go get me some Circle K. You know, and, and, that, and, that's, and that's my life. You can call me whatever you want, but that's my life. That's my reality. I do, I do me, you do you, okay? So Peter... It says this guy asked, asked for money and Peter, along with John, looked straight at him. And this is, where, this is where Peter and John are a little different from us. You know, for, for many of us, we try to kind of like act like we didn't hear the guy. Peter and John said, hey, look at us, look at us. And when someone says, look at us, it means there, there's an expect, all of a sudden the expectation raises that they're about to do something for us. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them expecting to get something from them. In other words, at this point, Peter and John are walking along. He hears them walking along, but because at that time in that place, poor people, beggar people were not supposed to look at the people that, that, that were passing by them. They were supposed to be humble in spirit, humble in posture. And so they were supposed to look at the ground. And if they heard someone come and go, hey, can you help me? Hey, can you help me? Hey, can you help me? And so, and so Peter and John are going, well, this guy wants our help, but he's not even really willing to look at us because if, if people wouldn't look them in the eye, wouldn't look, if, they, if this guy wasn't looking in the eyes of the people that he was asking for, he didn't have to get his heart broken again the next time that someone didn't help him, right? If, you can, if you're not looking in the eyes, it's just, another, it's, okay, same disappointment, same disappointment, same disappointment. I didn't get my heart up. But now Peter and John say, hey, look at us. And he begins to hope. He begins to hope that, hey, these guys are actually gonna give me some of the money that I'm hoping that, that they'll give me. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. And this is great. In verse six, it says, Peter said, I don't have silver or gold. This is fantastic. This is, remember last week we talked about how Peter had this way of being really, really underwhelming when he said, hey, look at me, listen up, pay attention. He goes, hey guy, look at me, look at me, look at me. I don't have what you're looking for. You're like, Peter, you son of a gun. Like, what are you doing to this guy? You get his hopes up and then you say, I know you want some silver and gold. I don't got any. He says, but, but Peter said, I don't have silver or gold if you put up the rest of this verse. Actually, because I thought this would be disappointing and I wasn't sure how this was gonna play out. So he, he said, I don't have silver or gold. I thought we should, make, I thought we should make, make it silver or gold. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold. And then if let's put up the rest of it, it says, it says this, I don't have silver or gold. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Now, it takes a special kind of bold to, to, to look at a paralyzed person and say, hey, what you want and what you're looking for, I don't have it, but I have something better. I want, you to, I want you to give me your attention and I don't even have what you're looking for, but I have something better. And I want you to know that what you're looking for isn't even really what you need. It takes a special kind of bold to do that. Did you guys know, did you guys know that? For Peter and John, this is audacious. This is, this is a little bit ridiculous. This is crazy. Like, this is like, I mean, imagine, again, you go to Circle K and a guy asks for a hot dog. And you say, hey, 
Hot dogs I do not have, but what I do have, I'll give you. And you just go launch into a sermon. This, this, is, this is crazy. It takes a special kind of boldness to say to a paralyzed man, I don't have silver. I don't have gold. I don't have what you're looking for. I've got something better. And if you'll pay attention right now, I'm gonna do something for you. And so I'm just gonna tell you right now in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord who rose from the dead, get up and walk. This is a special kind of bold. This is the kind of bold that doesn't rely on the power of Peter and John, by the way. This isn't Peter or John thinking, man, there's something pretty special about me. I spent time with Jesus. I read my Bible today. I spent about 30 minutes in prayer. And now I think I'm ready to go tell someone that can't walk that they can walk today. This isn't Peter and John relying in their own strength. This is Peter and John going, there is real strength in Jesus who rose from the dead. And Jesus who rose from the dead told us that we would do greater things than he had done. We saw Jesus heal sick people. We saw Jesus heal lame people. And if Jesus says we can do greater than him, then the very least we can do is try to do the same things as him. And so since he, since he healed a lame guy, we think we can do it too. So in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And this guy's going, what? You realize I've been lame from birth. I don't even know how to stand up. My parents, my parents were disappointed in me as a toddler because I couldn't stand up. Because when all their, all their, all their, kid, all their friends' as kids were starting to crawl, I stayed still. And you're telling me to stand up and walk? And they say, yeah, because Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. We know there's power in the name of Jesus. So stand up and walk. And what we see in the next scripture is, is he doesn't try to stand up and walk. Peter and John go, hey, stand up and walk. And he stays there because they believe bigger than he believes. Did you guys know sometimes you have to believe for people? Sometimes you have to be the person that goes, hey, I believe and I know you don't yet, but I'm gonna pick you up by the hand and I'm gonna help you to get to a place where you can someday believe. So it says this, then taking him by the right hand because he's not trying to stand up by himself. He's not trying to walk by himself. It says then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up and at once his feet and ankles became, what's that last word? Strong. This man who could not stand before, could not walk before, couldn't get himself to sit up before, all of a sudden, because these men say, in the name of Jesus Christ, and I'm willing to reach out and grab my hand to pull you up, this man's feet and his ankles became strong. He receives the healing that comes through Jesus because someone was willing to be bold enough to say, hey, you can be healed and you can be made new and it can be today. It does not have to be someday. It can be today if you'll put your trust in Jesus and let us try to lift you up. So it says this, then he jumped up and he started to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping and praising God. Now, if in, when I think about this, this feels a little bit showy, doesn't it? Like, okay, for the last 25 years of your life, you couldn't even walk, you couldn't even stand, and now you're walking, you're leaping like Nick Miller, and you're praising God. Like, like, like I mean, I, I'm just picturing this guy is like dancing around the ballroom. He's having a great time. And people are like, isn't that the guy? That's the guy. Isn't that the guy? That's the guy. Yeah, he's like, he's standing and he's not just standing, like he's walking, like he's moving. He's got a little strut to him. He's leaping like the Lord of the Rings or like Lord of the Flies, Lord of anything that leaps. I don't, I don't know what leaps, but like he's just leaping around this place. Did you see the guy leaping? He's leaping. Yeah, it's crazy. The, the guy who was sitting out there because he couldn't walk, now he's leaping and he's praising 
God because obviously God has done something for him. And because of this, a whole crowd shows up. So it says this, as all the people saw him walking and praising God and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg. It took him a second because you don't look at these people. But pretty quickly they realize, hey, that's the guy that we've passed every day for the last three years. That's the guy that we passed for every day for the last six years. And we didn't think there was anything anyone could do for him, but someone did something for him. And he can walk and he can leap and he can dance and he's singing and he's praising God and he's standing up. And just, I, so this, this week I was, I was we, every night I do the Bible app for kids storybook with, with Noble. And this week, this story was actually, was actually part of it. And, and the guy in the little cartoon, he has this like half shirt on. And I'm like, I don't want Noble to see this. Like, 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 like he's jumping all over the place. He's raising up his hands. And when his hands raise, like his belly button shows, I'm like, don't look at that part, Noble. You know, I'm, I'm off. It's crazy. But he's so, so changed that everyone around him knows something's happening because they see this is the guy who used to beg and they've got questions. They've got questions. Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple? So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what happened to him. They didn't know. They're going like, what in the world? What in the world? This is when something amazing happens and you can't explain it. This is when you get a hundred on your exams that you didn't study for. I mean, like, just, ima like, just imagine that moment when you're like, I got a hundred? I guessed everything correctly because I didn't know any of them, but I guessed 100% of the answers correctly. Wow, I'm going to graduate? How did that even happen? You know, like for some of you, that's going to be your reality in a couple of years. Like I, I actually get to graduate. Like for some of you that are going to be, mo that, are, that, are, that are moms and dads, your kids are going to, your kids going to go off to kindergarten someday. Your kids are going to go off to middle school. Your kids going to go off to high school. And you'll be like, how did, where did that time go? Like they're there. They're growing up. They're not a no. Some of you, you're going to have a day where you actually like your kids again. <laughs> and you're going to be like, man, when they were seven, when they were 13, when they were 17, I was so ready for them to be out of the house, but now I really like having them back. How did that happen? It's a good thing, but I can't explain it. That's what these people are going. They're like, this is a good, like this dude who couldn't walk, he's walking, but How? So it says this, while he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, would you say all the people? All the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's colonnade. So this dude now, you know, like he's, he's done his walking, he's done his leaping, he's done his dancing. And then because what, what most of us would do is, okay, th this person was the source of the healing. This person was the source of the miracle. He's clinging to Peter and John. He's like, dude, I can walk. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. So like, he doesn't want to let go of Peter and John because like, dude, this guy changed my life. I'm here. They changed my life. They changed my life. They said something about Jesus, but they were the ones in person who did it. So I don't want to let go of these guys. So he's holding on and then says this, when Peter saw this, when Peter saw that there was a crowd gathering, he addressed the people. He addressed the people. Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why are you amazed at this? Why is this surprising to you? Because and they're going like, are you kidding? He's been there every day for the last eight years. We know he can't walk and now he's walking. We know he certainly can't leap and now he's leaping. We know he certainly can't dance and he's dancing like, like way better than Chris ever could. And, like, and, 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 that, and, and it's amazing. But Paul, Peter's like, why are you amazed at this? And then he says this, why do you stare at us? Would you guys say us? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power 
or our own godliness. He says this, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors has glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you, yeah, he said he's glorified his servant, Jesus. And here's the thing that I wanna make sure we understand today. The miracle is not the point. The point is to point to the source of the miracle. Okay, let me just be, be very clear. In, in church world, I think a lot of times we seek miracles or we seek kind of the supernatural. We seek the spiritual because we, get, we hope we get goosebumps, right? I mean, and, and, I, and I've, I've been there. I, like if, if, if you're thinking like, oh man, he just called me out. I've been there. The reason I can say with confidence that it happens is I've been there in my life where I was like looking for the supernatural, looking for something amazing because it made me feel really good. And at the end of the day, the point of this miracle was not so everyone would go, wow, that's awesome. I got goosebumps. I got chills. Praise Jesus. You know, it, was, it wasn't so everyone could have a sweet little moment. The point of the miracle was to point back to the source of the miracle. The reason God gave Peter and John the power to perform this miracle in the name of Jesus was not so Peter and John could look good. It wasn't so, so everyone could go, wow, Peter, wow, wow. John was next to Peter. He's pretty good too. Wow. It wasn't to make anyone look good except Jesus. That's the point of every miracle. That's the point of every good thing. That's the point of when God does something for anyone, it's to bring attention back to Jesus is to bring the attention back on God who has all of the power in the first place. The miracle is not supposed to go, wow, I felt so good. Wow, I got goosebumps. Wow, that was amazing. It's not to make us look good. It's not to make us you know, feel better about ourselves. By the way, there, there was, when I, I know there, there was a moment for me when I, was, when I was a youth pastor, I was at a camp one year. Um, this was like, I think my, the, my second year as camp, at, at camp as, as a youth pastor. And I remember there was this kid who came up and, and he said, you know, I've been struggling with like some, some bipolar stuff and I've been struggling with um, some like just men, like uh, um, he, he said, I'm, I think I'm borderline schizophrenic. Could you pray for me? And I thought, I'll pray for you, but I think you should go see a doctor, man. Like, 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 like that, like, you know, you don't say those things to like 15 year olds, but that was in my head. I was like, I'll pray for you. Absolutely. But like, man, you should go see a doctor probably. And, um, and, and, and so I, so I prayed for him and, you know, in my mind, and as far as I could see is, you know, like nothing really happened. A year later, I go back to camp and this guy walks up to me and he goes, Hey, you remember me? And I said, no. <laughs> and he said, you prayed for me last year. I'm like, prayed for like 80 different people last year. I, I don't, you know, like, okay. He wasn't from our youth group. He was from a, he's from a different city that didn't, you know, they didn't have a youth pastor that had brought them. And he said, you remember a guy who told you that he was struggling with bipolar and schizophrenic, schizophrenia stuff last year? And I said, oh yeah. He goes, that was me. I said, oh. He said, when you prayed for me, God healed me. And I remember in that moment, I went, shut up. <laughs> He said, no. <laughs> I went, seriously? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, that was like the worst prayer I ever prayed. Like, like I was sitting there thinking the whole time, I shouldn't even be praying. I should tell you to go see the camp nurse. Like, make sure you don't hurt, any, hurt yourself or anyone. Like, that was my whole thought process. And it's just a reminder that, guys, there are times where there are people who need our help and need our prayers and need us to pray bold prayers that have nothing to do with us. 
and have nothing to do with us, but everything to do with connecting them back to their heavenly father who has all the power and all the authority and all the, all the ability in the world. So let's be people who boldly point people to Jesus and boldly pray that God would bring healing when, there, when we have the opportunity to bring healing or to bring love or to show kindness or to bring encouragement because that's what God does. And at the end of the day, if we're, if we're gonna be bold for Jesus, let's be bold for Jesus while making sure that we point people continuously to Jesus. So here's what happens. Peter begins to preach. He says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, he's glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer. Would you guys say a murderer? He would have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. And then he says one more time, we are witnesses. Would you guys say witnesses? We are witnesses of this. We are witnesses. This is that simple gospel that we talked about last week. Peter didn't make up new sermons every week. Like Peter, Peter, Peter might've, you know, I, I don't know if, I don't know if Peter would have made it as a pastor in 2000, in 2020. Peter, Peter didn't come up with a new sermon every week. Every time Peter had an opportunity to address a crowd and let them know what God had done and what they were seeing and what was happening in their midst. Every time Peter had an opportunity, Peter went, Hey, let me preach the same sermon to you. Jesus came from God. You killed him. You had a part to play. You had a hand in his death. But God raised him and new life is found in Jesus. That's the message. If we ever get past that, we've gone too far. If we ever stop short of that, we haven't gone far enough. This is the message that connects us back to eternal life. Faith in this message. Jesus came from God. We killed him. God raised him and new life is found in him. If we haven't hit that point, we haven't searched far enough. If we go past that, we've gone too far. Jesus is the story. Jesus is the story and Jesus is the way to new life. And so he says, by faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. In other words, Jesus did what we cannot do for this man. Jesus did what none of you could do for this man. Jesus did what I couldn't do for this man. Jesus did what no one could do for this man ex except for Jesus. Only Jesus. Because only Jesus overcame sin, death, hell, and the grave. Only Jesus has the power to do for this man what was done for this man. That's the only explanation that makes any sense. And that's the only explanation that we think, can think to give. Jesus made this man strong. And then he says this, And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. Wouldn't you love it if in the middle of the sermon, you're like, guys, I know you're all just being ignorant. Fantastic sermon. Good job, Peter. Hey, guys, you're all ignorant. Yeah, <laughs> Great. Peter says, I know guys, you were just acting in ignorance just as your leaders also did. It says in this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets. In other words, this isn't just on this time, this moment in history. This has been something that God has been planning and God has been speaking to and God has been pointing to all along. Through all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer. Jesus' suffering was not a surprise to God. It says, therefore, therefore, repent, 
Change your mind, change your heart, change your direction, change your relationships with each other and change your relationship with God. Therefore, repent and turn back to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And then he says this, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. That's beautiful, beautiful. And on that day, I'm not gonna read the whole rest of the story, but on that day, many more came into the kingdom of God. Many more came into the church of Jesus Christ because Jesus had done for one man what no one else could. And people began to understand that if Jesus could do that for that man, Jesus might just be able to do something for me that no one else can do. No one else can offer me the forgiveness of sins, but Jesus can. No one else can make me right with God, but Jesus can. No one else can offer me peace with God, but Jesus can. No one else can save my marriage, but Jesus can. No one else can make me new inside, but Jesus can. No one else can, no, no one else can give me peace with my past, but Jesus can. Jesus can do what no one else can do. And this changed the world. What changed Peter, the resurrection, changed the world. The power of Jesus Christ that brought healing to this man changed the life of everyone who saw, who saw the miracle and who heard Peter point to Jesus. That's what happens. That Jesus does what no one else can do and Jesus does what only Jesus can do. And so here's the thing, as, as, we, as we talk in this series about being bold, I think I, 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 want, I want to talk about three different little things here at, at the end of, of this message, because I think a lot of us kind of come to the idea of like, yeah, we want to reach the world. We want to reach the world. We want, to, we, want, we want to be part of changing the world. We want to be people who God uses us and God does things through us, maybe even like he did through Peter and John and through the early church, that could we actually still change the world today? And if so, how do we do that? How, does that happen just by being bold? And it doesn't just happen by being bold, but boldness will come into play. So I want to talk about three things here at the very end that I think we see from this story. The first one is simply this. Before you reach the many, reach the one. Before you reach the many, reach the one. I know many of us, we go, I want to change the world. I want to change the world. I think it, for many, I mean, many of us, we're young, we're, you know, in, in, in your 20s, in college, even, even if, if you're in your early 30s, even if you're in if your 40s or 50s, you're people who have young minds because you like being around us. Like, and you like being around me. Like, like, like we have that passion going, I want to change the world. I want to change the world. You want to know how you change the world? First, you change one. First, you reach one. You don't reach the world, you reach one at a time, and eventually we reach the world. Before we reach the many, we reach the one. So just imagine, imagine in this moment, Peter going into the temple, Peter and John going, man, you know what, today, I feel like we're gonna preach a sermon to everyone. So let's just, you know, gather everyone and let's talk to everyone and let's let everyone know about Jesus. And they walk into the temple and they're like, we're gonna reach that whole crowd. And they start talking, but no one cares and no one listens. Because God's plan is not for us to go out and reach the many all at once. Our God's plan is for us to see the one, see the need, meet the need, reach the one, reach the world. Keep reaching one until we've reached the world. Keep reaching one until we've reached the world. Keep reaching one, keep reaching the next one, keep seeing the need, keep meeting the need, keep seeing the need, keep meeting the need until we've eventually reached the one and then we eventually reach the next one and we reach the next one and we reach the next one. Peter and John were not so focused on reaching the world that they forgot to see the one. When they're walking up, I mean, just imagine Peter and John going, oh, man, I spent time with Jesus. You know, I'm meant to preach to crowds. You know, so this guy's got a need, but someone will come along and deal with that. And if they carry that attitude that this one is one to be overlooked, 
none of the rest of it happens. So we reach one if we want to eventually reach many. Before we reach the many, we reach the one. That's God's plan to eventually reach the many. Before you reach the many, you reach the one. And then simply this, reaching one creates an opening to reach the many. Again, for Peter and John, if they don't stop for the one, they don't have an opportunity to address the many. Does that make sense? That they earn the right to address the many by stopping for the one. And I think, here's the, th here's the thing. I think for many of us, we get the idea we should stop for the one. We should stop for the one. We should stop for the one. But many of us have opportunities when we stop for the one, there's an opportunity to, to speak to many more. There's an opportunity to talk to many more. And all too often we go, well, I reached the one, my job's done. I reached the one, my job's done. And I don't want to, like, I, you know, I'm not meant to preach. I'm not meant to do this. So I have an opportunity, but I'm going to let it kind of sail by. There's, there's, a, there's an older show. It's, I, I don't know if you'd call it old. Some of you guys will remember you know, it being on when you were young and you'll be like, that's, that can't be old because if that's old, I'm old, okay? The show is, the show is called West Wing. I've talked about it with some of you guys. It's one of my, one of my favorite shows um, and it's on Netflix. So I've watched it like 19 times now. And um, one of the favorite kind of like relationships in the show is the relationship between uh, President Jed Bartlett and his speechwriter, Toby Ziegler. And, and Toby is continually telling the president, it's okay to be smart. It's okay to be smart. Like you don't have to let the answer, like, like you don't have to be afraid that if you're smart, people won't like you. And, and so there's this episode where they just are yelling back and forth at each other. And Toby's saying, you know, like, you got the question. You, you should have answered the question. And the president's like, I'm not answering the question right now. And he's like, you got the question. And they go back and forth and they're back and forth and back and forth. And at the end of it, Toby says, president, here's what I'm concerned with. You got the pitch and you let it sail by. Don't let the pitch sail by. And so here's what I want to say to you today. When you, when you reach the one and you have an opportunity to reach the many because you reached the one, don't let the pitch sail by. Don't let the opportunity go by. I remember when I, when I, was, in, when I was in high school, I, I mean, I, I've been a church kid my entire life. I love church. I love the local church. Um, when, I was, when I was in high school, um, when I was in high school, I, I finished right up at the top of my graduating class. Um, I, I was the salutatorian, and there, so that was the second in, in highest grade point average in the class, and there was the valedictorian, um, who was the first in the class, Molly Kelly. Two first names. You know, anyway, so, um, so, so Molly Kelly had a, a 0.001 better grade point average than me. So she got to be the valedictorian. And I thought, 0.001, that's like a plus or minus somewhere back in like eighth grade. Anyway, so, so, I, so both of us got to give a speech. And someone told me along the way it, when I was asking, well, what are these speeches, 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 what are these speeches supposed to be like? And said, someone said, well, the, the, the job of the salutatorian is to set up the valedictorian to say some funny things, to say some heartfelt things so that the valedictorian can say the serious stuff that matters. And I thought, okay, then I'll do my job. And I, again, I, I'd been a church kid. I'd been, I, like, I love Jesus with my whole heart. And my parents told me, this is an opportunity. You're going to be in front of a thousand people and you can talk about Jesus. And I said, but I was told my job is to talk about fun, heartfelt stuff and let the valedictorian talk about the serious stuff. And so that's what I did. I, uh, I, I said some funny jokes. I told some funny stories. I said that, you know, we've learned in school that two wrongs don't make a right, but three lefts do. And so, you know, and, and some of you will get that later. And so, you know, like, I, I mean, I gave a good speech. I got a lot of really good laughs. And my pastor and my youth pastor were both in the, in the audience that day because they knew one of their, you know, students was giving a big speech. And 
saw him at church on the, the next Sunday, and I asked both of them, I said, How, what did you guys think of the speech? And they said, well, it was funny. Dot, 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 dot. And I said, thank you? They said, yep, it was funny. And it was the first time in my life that I knew I had let a pitch sail by. And I made a decision that day, I'm not letting a pitch sail by again. And that was before I ever knew I was going to be a pastor. It was when I thought I was going to be in marketing. It was when I thought I was going to be in advertising. It was when I thought I'm going to be in the business place. I just made the decision that day right then and there. Whenever I have an opportunity, I'm not going to let the pitch sail by. If I've reached one and I have an opportunity to reach many, let's do everything in my power to reach many. So let's not, let the, let's not let the pitch sail by. Reaching one creates an opportunity to reach the many. And here's the third thing. What God does for one, God wants to do for many. What God does for one, God wants to do for many. What God does when he provides peace for you, he wants to bring peace for, for someone else. What God does when he brought freedom in your life, he wants to bring that same freedom for many. What God does when he brought forgiveness to your life and salvation to your life and peace with him and peace with others and peace in your marriage and peace in your relationship with your kids, when he does that for you or when he does that for someone, that's what God wants to do for everyone. What God does for the one, God also wants to do for the many. So let's step up as men and women of faith. Let's step up as men and women who know that God has done so much for me. I know what God's done for me. I know what God's done for many of you. And if we have an opportunity to help God do that for someone else, let's do it. Let's be bold with our faith. Let's be bold with our love. Let's be bold with our generosity. Let's be bold with our time. Let's be bold with our words. Let's be bold people of men, men and women of God who step up to say, God, if you can use me to reach one, do it. If you can use me to reach many, do it. If you can reach me to do for one what you want to do for many, do it. If you want to do for one so that it can eventually happen for many, do it. Because God, I know you want to bring peace to the lives of many people. God, I know you want to bring forgiveness and salvation to the lives of many people. God, I know you want to bring freedom to the lives of many people. And so if I have a part to play, I want to step up and boldly do what God would have me to do. And I know that's what God wants for you. And I know that's what God wants for me. I know that's what God wants for us as a church. And so in the middle of a time like this, in the middle of a time where we're still, where we're, where we're in a different place and we're in a different building and where, 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 you know, life has been thrown into all kinds of chaos and where life is not gonna look the same as we planned on the next, life, the, the next month of life looking, you know what we're still called to do? We're still called to be bold men and women of faith. And we're still called to be bold people who love the one so that we can have an opportunity to love the many. We still serve the one so that we can serve the many. We reach the one so that we can reach the many. And whatever that looks up, let, let's step up to the plate and let's not let the pitch go by. Let me pray for you.